You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. The Hive ransomware gang may be back and rebranded. Coin miners exploit AWS IAM credentials. Lockbit claims to have obtained sensitive information from Boeing. Ukrainian auxiliaries disrupt internet service in Russian-occupied territory, while internet and telecoms are down in Gaza. Deep fakes have an effect even when they're not used. Joe Kerrigan explains executive impersonations on social media. Our guest is David Brumley, cybersecurity professor at Carnegie Mellon and CEO of software security firm For All Secure, discussing spooky zero days and vulnerabilities. And President Biden released a U.S. executive order on artificial intelligence. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Monday, October 30th, 2023. We begin with some notes from Gangland. Cue the sirens and police whistles, please. Bleeping Computer reports that a new ransomware-as-a-service operation called Hunters International has surfaced and may represent a rebranding of the Hive ransomware gang. Hive's ransomware racket was shuttered in January 2023 after their operation was infiltrated and disrupted by the FBI and other law enforcement agencies. Researchers have found that more than 60% of the code used by Hunters International overlaps with ransomware used by Hive. The Hunters group has denied connections to the Hive gang, however, 
stating, All of the Hive source code were sold, including the website and old Golang and C versions, and we are those who purchased them. Palo Alto Network's Unit 42 is tracking a campaign dubbed ElectraLeak, which is performing automated targeting of exposed identity and access management credentials within public GitHub repositories. The researchers say... The threat actor associated with the campaign was able to create multiple AWS Elastic Compute instances that they used for wide-ranging and long-lasting cryptojacking operations. We believe these operations have been active for at least two years and are still active today. Unit 42 adds, We found that the actor was able to detect and use the exposed IAM credentials within five minutes of their initial exposure on GitHub. This finding specifically highlights how threat actors can leverage cloud automation techniques to achieve their goals of expanding their cryptojacking operations. The Russian ransomware gang Lockbit claims to have compromised Boeing systems and taken a tremendous amount of sensitive information from the aerospace firm. Boeing said, according to Reuters, that it's evaluating the claims. Lockbit says that if it's not paid by November 2nd, the gang will begin dumping the data publicly. Lockbit said on its leak site, sensitive data was exfiltrated and ready to be published if Boeing did not contact within the deadline. Citing security researcher Brett Callow, Security Affairs points out that Lockbit has in the past not distinguished between a company and a company's vendors, and that from what's known so far, this could be a third-party incident, assuming that it turns out to be anything at all. Lockbit claims to have gained access to Boeing data by exploiting a zero-day, but again, those claims remain uncorroborated. We'll be watching to see how the story develops, but Lockbit, assuming that they're not just posturing and beating their chest, seems to be unusually aggressive in this case. The record reports that the IT Army of Ukraine conducted DDoS attacks against three Russian ISPs operating in Russian-occupied Ukrainian territory. Service was up and down beginning Friday, with disruptions lasting longest in occupied Crimea. The IT Army is a true avowed auxiliary service of the Ukrainian government and not a deniable front group like those Russia has typically marshaled. In this case, Euromaidan Press notes that the DDoS action was against Russian ISPs and was reported on the 27th of October, by Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation. Internet and mobile telecommunications service in Gaza are largely down, the AP reports. It's in part a kinetic disruption, with infrastructure knocked out by Israeli airstrikes and artillery preparation, but some of the shutdown has been done remotely. Those aspects of the interruption showed, according to the Washington Post, some intermittent easing Sunday. Service interruptions are inconvenient for Hamas, but the service interruptions are even harder on civilians in Gaza who are deprived not only of news, warnings, and emergency services, but also of means of communicating with family. Elon Musk promised Saturday to provide Starlink connectivity to internationally recognized humanitarian organizations operating in the region. It will take some time to deliver the terminals. Israelis in the region are also seeking proof of life for the more than 200 hostages taken in Hamas's initial assault, and they're looking in their desperation at such data as cell phone pings. 
Bloomberg reports that Israel's government is said to have recruited both NSO Group and Kandiru, spyware vendors who've both been sanctioned by the U.S., to the war effort, possibly employing them in the search for hostages. Cyber attacks proper have declined in frequency during the war, but have, according to Axios, increased their global reach. The Russian hacktivist front group Anonymous Sudan has said it's been working against Israel, as security scorecard researchers reported, and it's also claimed it's targeting organizations in Kenya because of Kenya's support of Israel. Two other pro-Palestinian groups, Dark Storm Team and IROX Team, claimed respectively, again without substantiation, to have hit Snapchat to punish the U.S. for its support of Israel and various companies in Brazil also to punish support for Israel. The hacktivists and hacktivist auxiliaries have, for the most part, confined their operations to DDoS action. Deepfakes have themselves played a negligible role in disinformation campaigns during the Israel-Hamas war, but their mere possibility has tended to cast doubt on any evidence that's presented in digital form. The New York Times describes how a potential threat has had actual effects on the climate of opinion with respect to the current war. So, consumers of information seem to have grown less apt to receive audio and video as primitive evidence. In some respects, this may be reassuring. Perhaps consumers of Internet content are developing healthy, critical habits. But in other respects, it's disturbing. When all content is suspect... We've taken up residence on the grassy knoll. So it seems the mere possibility of deepfakes has become the informational equivalent of what theorists of naval warfare call a fleet in being, that is, a force that need never leave port in order to have an effect on the war. It's an asymmetric tactic, the kind of thing a weaker force might do to influence its stronger opponent. And finally, U.S. President Biden this morning issued an executive order on artificial intelligence. Initially available to the public in the form of a White House fact sheet, the EO establishes new standards for AI safety and security, protects Americans' privacy, advances equity and civil rights, stands up for consumers and workers, promotes innovation and competition, advances American leadership around the world, and more. The closing and more is seriously intended. The EO is complex and far-reaching, touching on both the risks and opportunities the family of emerging technologies presents. Many of the provisions of the executive order have little to do directly with cybersecurity proper, but those that do include a call for new standards that would promote AI safety and security, development of watermarks for AI-generated content that would help consumers assess the authenticity of the information therein, protections against AI-enabled threats to personal privacy, and guidance for government agencies' responsible use of AI, interest in regulating or at least guiding the development and use of AI isn't confined to the U.S. The U.K. is hosting a much-anticipated AI summit this week, and the United Nations has announced the formation of an AI Governance Advisory Committee. Be sure to join us this Thursday for our Caveat podcast, where we'll be talking with David Brumley, cybersecurity professor at Carnegie Mellon and CEO of software security firm For All Secure. He'll be giving us his perspective on the executive order and its implications. (music) 
Coming up after the break, Joe Carrigan explains executive impersonations on social media. Our guest is David Brumley, cybersecurity professor at Carnegie Mellon and CEO of software security firm For All Secure, discussing spooky zero days and vulnerabilities. Stay with us if you dare. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. On the eve of Halloween, we thought it might be fun to ponder some of the most spooky exploits out there, the ones that go bump in the night and make cybersecurity experts skin crawl. For that, I checked in with David Brumley, cybersecurity professor at Carnegie Mellon and CEO of software security firm For All Secure. So uh, forgive me for being a little bit on the nose here, but with uh, Halloween looming, I thought it might be fun to uh, check in with you and talk about some of the scariest and spookiest cyber criminals and and tactics that you have your eye on this year. Uh, What do you got for us here, David? Well, I think the scariest and the spookiest are what I call zero-click exploits. Have you heard of those? Yes, yes. But please explain for folks who might not be familiar. Zero-click exploits are really spooky. What it is, is an attacker can actually exploit an iPhone just by sending you a message. You don't have to read it. You don't have to look at it. They just send it to you and they break into your phone. So that's pretty spooky. (laughs) I'd say so. Is this something that has uh, been recognized and patched or are we still dealing with this? This is something that periodically crops up. The most recent one was what's called the WebP vulnerability. WebP is an image format that Google came up with. Um, It's lossless, meaning it preserves the image details perfectly. But there was a bug in the implementation, both on iOS as well as Chrome, um, over about the last month, actually. And uh, attackers were using this to break into iPhones. In fact, That's how we discovered it. We didn't know about the bug, but people were breaking into people's phones and some great researchers figured it out. It's an interesting case because I think it speaks to 
the desire to support legacy file formats, which, you know, I think it's safe to say this image format is, but that that can come with some security risks. Uh, it comes with new security risks. Actually, this is a newer file format, believe it or not. It's more really? web-centric. Okay. Um, and so you really only see it really in the web context, but it's something that more and more devices are looking at. But you're spot on that as we increase the number of formats, you know, every, every time you see a new computer, they boast like the latest low energy Bluetooth or the, the fastest MP3 decoding or MP4. Um, each one of those formats introduces new risks because that software hasn't been as heavily tested. Yeah. It's also interesting to me because I, I guess in my mind, I, I categorize as an image format as being something that's kind of benign. Uh, but this proves that that's not necessarily the case. I mean, that's what makes it so spooky. Uh, I agree with you. You wouldn't think of an image format as being something that would lead to someone taking over your computer, let alone not even interacting with it. But things have gotten so advanced. They're so optimized for being high quality and yet also being small that they're quite complicated. And that's why bugs arise. Yeah, what other things do you have your eye on here? What uh, what keeps you up at night? Well, I mean, on the commercial side, it's always these zero-click exploits, and they pop up maybe two a year or so. So there, there's we haven't seen the last. We're going to continue to see more of them. I think the other thing that keeps me up that's spooky is just when we look at the world today and how much conflict's going on, the sorts of things that we've seen in cyber attacks in the past in war. And one that always comes to mind is... Actually, when Russia attacked the Ukrainian power grid in 2016, what made that really spooky to me is the Russian operators actually took over the computers and were moving the mouse around to shut down substations. And of course, the operators were trying like mad to stop it, but the Russians had taken control of their computers and the operators could do nothing about it. So what's so spooky is they were kind of making them watch as they mm. shut down the grid, right? You could see the mouse moving on your screen doing these malicious actions. And so that sort of thing is pretty spooky to me where this element of not just cyber compromise, but almost psychological warfare right. has been a growing part of the cyber scene. It's like the, that old horror movie from when I was a kid, you know, the call is coming from inside the house, <laughs> right? It's a, it, it messes with your mind. Absolutely. And of course, I would be remiss not to mention the threat of AI. What AI has done is made it so easy for attackers to be able to impersonate real people and do it so effectively that I find myself even looking at messages being like, you know, who is this? Oh, I must know this person, even though it's some scam. So I think that's one of the spooky things that unfortunately isn't going away anytime soon. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it really points to the need for greater scrutiny when when we're evaluating these things coming at us. It used to be that a phishing message was often marked with, uh, you know, bad grammar was a telltale sign, but I guess those days are gone. Yeah, it's no longer, you know, we've been trying to get in touch with you about your car warranty. It's, <laughs> right. hi, David, how are you doing? Um, right. What's it been like over the last two years? I saw that you, you know, went to Hawaii for vacation. Right. And that sort of detail really makes me think I know the person and just don't have their phone number in my phone for some reason. But it's just scammers using incredibly advanced algorithms to learn a lot of information and spam people. Yeah. As we're coming up on the end of this year and looking forward to the next, any thoughts or words of wisdom for folks out there who are 
uh, assigned the task of trying to make us safer? Well, first, I mean, I think everyone needs to take a minute and be thankful for their IT and security people. They got an incredibly hard job trying to prevent these attacks and track down attackers. And it's also an incredibly thankless job. It, it kind of seems like you can only lose. So I think that's one of the things as we're going forward, just make sure you take time to appreciate everything that they do. The second part of that is, of course, do everything you can yourself to make sure you're secure. As we're going online and doing holiday shopping and all those booking trips, you just have to be vigilant that you're not reusing passwords, that your computer's up to date. All those things that we ask you to do every year, you need to do every year. And it's not going to be something that we're going to stop asking people to do. All right. Well, David Brumley is a cybersecurity professor at Carnegie Mellon and also CEO of the software security firm For All Secure. David, thanks so much for joining us. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He is from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hey there, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, Interesting article came by. This is from the folks over at Security Boulevard. Uh, This article is written by Sam Bakken uh, and is titled Addressing Executive and Social Media Impersonation. Protecting Leaders That Lack an Online Presence. What's going on here, Joe? So uh, this is talking about a number of people who have been impersonated online. Mm. Uh, Yet another reason social media is terrible. Uh, There's no guarantee that the person you're looking at, whose profile you're looking at, is actually that person. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are these verification programs that uh, Facebook has and and Twitter has the Get Verified, or X now, I guess, right? Still want to call it Twitter. (laughs) they have the get verified fee that's $7 a month, but that's pretty simple to get around. Right. Uh, but what if you don't have a social media account? Like what if you don't have any footprint with Facebook, which mm. I think would be smart if you were an executive, right? That that's someplace where you don't, uh, you don't put yourself out there uh, so that you don't get attacked that way. I would say yeah. that you know, once you get to that level of, of, uh, of importance for an organization, uh, you walk away from the things that might expose you to certain risks. I wonder though, like, do you, do you, is it better to not have a profile or to have a profile that you can say, Hey, this is the official profile of this person, right. that, even if it's not active. That's right. That's a good, good point. Um, I would, I would err on that, on that, uh, to that, to that side. Yeah. And I would have some social media person managing a platform right. or managing the the profile on all the platforms. Right which I, I think that's a better way to do it. But one of the problems is if you don't have an account on these platforms, how do you report a fraudulent account? Mm. You don't have an in with them, right? Right, right. Um, now, there are companies out there who specialize in helping you to take down these uh, fraudulent companies yeah. or fraudulent profiles. There are companies like Zero Fox and Black Cloak yeah. that that do this. That's their business model. Right. Uh, and they're they're good at it. Yeah. They have relationships with the social media companies. You can set up with 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 these companies alerts that fire off when someone sets up a uh, an impersonation for your company or your your executives or even your managers, mm-hmm. uh, and then they will begin the process of taking it down with the social media company. And the social media companies listen to these people. Right. This article also talks about how uh, X and LinkedIn are better at taking down fraudulent sites or fraudulent profiles. Uh, Meta, not so much. 
uh, not not surprised by that. Yeah, they they speculate that the reason they're doing that Meta takes longer to take down these accounts is because Meta's focusing on its own verification system and mm-hmm. the verification of uh, of uh, their once they have a verified account, they're going to take care of the verified accounts because you know that they've put their word behind the verification. I see. But uh, in order to get the verified account, you have to take a picture of yourself in a mirror with a government issued ID. I don't know. I want to give that information to Facebook, to Meta. I don't right. know. I trust them with that. Right. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if I were a C-level executive, I would definitely consider using a company who specializes in this kind of a relationship. Yeah. Because you're going to be screaming into the void by yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They, they, they list off some proactive measures to prevent uh, this sort of impersonation. Anything catch your eye here? Well, one of the things they say is uh, what we talked about earlier, and that's setting up an account and keeping control of it. Yeah. You probably have a social media manager handle that. Um, that way, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about, uh, you know, the old midnight tweet that comes out when you're feeling punchy. You know, you don't even have <laughs> access to it. Right. Uh, that's probably the best thing. Yeah. Uh, but do that land grab. Do that land grab. Get out there in front of it. Uh, also, uh there's some. They have some links to some verification services from these different uh, these different providers, so you can actually get verified with companies like Meta, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Yes. Yeah. yeah. When can we stop saying Twitter or X, formerly Twitter? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Terrible it's, name. It's just said. yeah. X is just a bad name. That's that's the bottom line as far as I'm concerned. So it's frust it's frustrating because I have to you know I have to say it a couple times a day. I have to say X, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Like, right. That's where we are, Joe. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, again, this article is from the folks over at Security Boulevard. It is Addressing Executive and Social Media Impersonation. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast where I contribute to a regular segment. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Urban and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.